Today on The Boiler Plate, we are talking about cause marketing, and we have a very special guest from Historic Claiborne Temple, Executive Director Anasa Troutman. When we talk about cause marketing, essentially, uh, that's really an effort between a business and a nonprofit to raise money for a particular cause. While we're going to be talking about raising money, yes, that's a part of it. Really, what we're talking about is restorative development, community engagement, and truly what they're doing inside the walls of Claiborne Temple, what they're doing around 38126 in downtown Memphis and Memphis as a whole all surrounding the civil rights movement. I'm so excited to talk to Anasa today. Yeah, and Anasa is the perfect person to talk about this. She has such a unique story and such a great background in so many different places that you know we're going to be really tightly focused on Claiborne Temple's story today. But what she says is just really applicable for any kind of cause that's trying to get their message out there. So stay tuned. I think she's going to have some really great stuff for us today. talked all season about how a business's story is really integral to their PR efforts. And I think that's especially true with cause marketing. When you're trying to inspire people and really get them to do something, your story is kind of what draws them to you. If you don't mind, let's just start out. Can you tell us a little bit about the historic Claiborne Temple and what's the story there? Sure. The story of Claiborne Temple is actually very long and goes all the way back to 1882 was the very first um, service, church service in Claiborne Temple. And the history really goes all the way back to there. But what people um, know Claiborne Temple most for is the um, historic sanitation worker strike of 1968, which, as you know, was based here in Memphis and started when two sanitation workers were killed in the back of a truck. And that set off, it was kind of like a last straw that set off a sanitation worker strike that brought Martin Luther King to Memphis and ultimately ended up in his assassination. And the reason why it was important for him to be here was because it was really the first movement in America that really brought together conversations about race and class, saying they were inextricably linked and that if you were working on one, you had to work on the other. And that was really the work of Martin Luther King's final year was about helping people understand that we had to go beyond a conversation about race and we had to go to this conversation of race, class, and militarism. That was his whole thing for the whole last year of his life. And so he came to Memphis because he knew that the people in Memphis were doing that work in a way that it was not happening anywhere else in America. And for the first time in his entire career, he came and joined a movement and didn't lead it. And so all that stuff that happened around that march all happened in Claiborne Temple. So the gathering of the men every day, the gathering of the women every day, the making of the I am a man signs, the negotiation of the strike, the funeral of Larry Payne, like all the meetings where Martin Luther King was there doing strategy with Reverend Lawson, all of that happened right in the Claiborne Temple building. That's incredible. It, it is. <laughs> it is. I mean, and it to is. have something like that in Memphis where there is still yeah. such a civil civil rights unrest yeah. in the city is so insanely powerful. Yeah. It's interesting um, to hear you say that because I've, I've only been in Memphis for a year. And really, like, the way I see it, like, to be a little woo-woo, like, energetically how I see Memphis is really, like, ground zero for the civil rights movement because for a lot of people Memphis is where the civil rights movement died and so Memphis must be the place where the civil rights movement is reborn regenerized and reimagined for the future if you ask me well and speaking specifically to that speaking of uh, 
this movement being reborn. Yeah. That's kind of the mission behind oh, Claiborne Temple for is sure. Claiborne Reborn. That's for sure. what we've been talking about for, for a long time mm-hmm. now. And so Claiborne Temple, after it was changed from originally Second Presbyterian mm-hmm. Church and then to Claiborne Temple, it was dormant for a little while, right? It yeah. was empty. There was nothing really going on. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that timeline, and then now, here we are, 2019, and this building has been in place for 130 years. You know, what, what, how did the resurgence Mm. come about, and why did it come about? Why is there so much interest in it? So, the building was abandoned for 20 years. It wasn't just, like, dormant. It was literally abandoned, like, leave, lock the door, and never come back for 20 years. And as a result, the building, you know, buildings, when they're empty, like, they fall apart. Because there's something about having people in them and movement and all that that keeps them healthy. Not just repair, but, like, actually having movement keeps them healthy. So, having a building of that size, both, like, from a story standpoint, the weight of that story... And just the size of the building, really the building collapsed in on itself. So one of the trusts broke in the roof, which made the south wall buckle, which broke the stained glass, which rotted the floor because there's water coming in now. And for 20 years, the building just degenerated. And so there is a church that's also part of the Presbyterian faith. So initially the building was part of the second, the Presbyterian church and it was second Presbyterian. The That church actually abandoned the building initially because the uh, neighborhood in downtown was becoming too integrated and they just didn't want to worship with black people. It was an all white congregation. They're like, we'd actually rather move our church than to have to deal with what it means for us to worship with black people. And so um, at that point they sold the building to the um, AME faith. And so it was an AME church from that day all the way through sanitation worker strike all the way through till two or three years ago when um, a man who was a businessman here in Memphis named Frank Smith was looking for a building for their church, so for for downtown church, which was worshiping in um, Central Station. And then when they started to do renovation on Central Station, they were like, oh, sorry, you have to go. And Frank, being the man that he is, was like, why are we renting the building anyway? We should own our own building. Why, why are we doing this? And so he started to look for a building and came across Claiborne Temple. It took a lot of work and a lot of uh, cajoling and a lot of negotiating, but he eventually was able to get the lease on the building. But the downtown church congregation wasn't able to take the undertaking on of like doing the renovation. It's a $14 million restoration project. And so a small congregation that's just coming online who was trying to figure out how to do multiracial, multi-economic community church congregation didn't have the wherewithal to take on such an important big restoration project. And so Frank decided to create an um, entity that would rent to the church. But then he was trying to figure out then what do I do with this building for the rest of the week? <laughs> you know, like, what do we do for six and a half days a week if the church is going to be here on Sunday mornings? And initially, the conversation was around a lot of commercial enterprise, you know, because Frank's an entrepreneur. Most of the folks in this community are entrepreneurs. And so all the ideas were entrepreneurial. And many of them were not appropriate for the sacredness of the building. And so folks, in the community were like, yeah, no, that's lovely idea, but no, that's not what can happen here. And then Frank and his associates 
went on to try and figure out how to repurpose the building for something that had a social mission and how to honor not only the history of the building, but like, honestly, the will of the community of people who were like, actually, this is not a place where these things happen. This is a place where these things happen. And how do we figure that out? And when you say community, you're talking about the greater Memphis community. Yes, yes. but truly 38126. Abs- um, yeah, I would say for sure 38126, but also, you know, his leaders in town both the cre- of the, both the creative community and the African American community here business community and others right mm-hmm. folks who are who are African American leaders here um religious leaders mm-hmm. like organizers all kind of folks were like no that's not what you don't do that in that space you can do that in any other space in this city but you cannot do that in this space mm-hmm. and god bless frank you know a lot of people wouldn't have listened a lot of people would have like thank you for sharing i'm going to do whatever i want this is my building but frank you know her the cries of the people and we're like I don't know what I don't know how to do that but I'm gonna at least create space for someone else who does and that's how I ended up here in Memphis because for some reason I got the incredible unusually humongous blessing of being the person that he looked to to help um, lead and figure out what to do in his space. Talk to us about that, about really how <laughs> you came here. What drew you to Memphis? Yeah. You know, and you know, just kind of yeah. your path here. Yeah, so... I'm a producer by trade. I've been a producer for 20 years. I started off in the music industry. I had my own record label when I was 23 years old. Don't ask me why I did that, because I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's awesome. It was like, because my mother and father raised me telling me I can do whatever I want and I believe them. And so I just do stuff. So I started a record label when I was 23. (laughs) And I really did it because. You know, I grew up in a in a house where like culture and politics and spirituality was like really all one conversation and I was, you know, raised to think that I was amazing cuz I was black and because I was a girl, which was like not normal in the world at the time and not still normal. And so when I like got to college and I got out of my parents' house and I looked around and was like, "Whoa, whoa, this is not no. <laughs> like, this will never do. This will never do. <laughs> Is this what y'all do out here? Oh, my God. So I, you know, people go to college and you see the world for what it is and you get activated one way or the other. You either get activated like, I love this, let's go. Or you're like, I don't like this, but I'm just going to put my head down. Or you go, I don't like this, what am I going to do? And I was the latter. And because culture was such a big part of my family, then I took the route of art because that's what I thought would work. Right. Like, I always am like, if I thought it was elephant hurting, I went on a bunch of elephants. But I really, really thought the art was going to change the world. And so I started a record label with a bunch of artists who I thought had transformative songs and music and ways of being. Over the years, like, ended up leaving the music industry because I realized that even though I could do work on a small scale, the infrastructure of the music industry is not built for transformation. It's actually built for status quo. And the status quo doesn't work for most people, especially for black women, which I happen to be. And then I was like, oh, I can go into politics. And I ended up like doing presidential campaigns and this and that. And and then I was like, oh, the infrastructure of the political world is also not built for transformation. It's also built for status quo and power brokering, which is not what I wanted. I spent a lot of time taking what I learned from being in politics and what I learned in being in the music industry and like creating a new model that brought together the best of both worlds. So like the ability to do organizing and work with people and do deep community work, but also marketing and branding and storytelling and like 
production and how do you bring those things together to be able to create a model that's based in culture but is actually built for transformation. I built a whole company around that. Like I built a career and a life around culture-based transformation. <laughs> and I had two clients in Memphis. <laughs> I was um, living in Nashville. I had two clients here. I was doing a project with the Memphis Music Initiative mm-hmm. and I was doing a project with the Memphis Black Arts Alliance. And so I was coming back and forth for a year um, doing that work. And I um, somebody took me to Claiborne Temple for for like we totally didn't belong there it was just someone who was like oh my god I heard about this place and you're gonna love it let's go and we just busted in the door we just were like hey we're here who are you we're here hi <laughs> I happened to meet Frank that day of course if you've ever been to Claiborne Temple it's one of the most beautiful buildings I've ever it been is. in it's gorgeous Stunning. Even in its disrepair, and in some ways, especially in its disrepair, it is just a gorgeous, breathtaking space. And so the combination of the visual of that place and the history of that place, when I walked in there, my brain exploded. I'm like, oh my God, this is the place I've been looking for my whole life. (laughs) And it's like my mind generated all these ideas about how the work that I do could live in a space like that. So I just, you know, that was early on. And so, I, you know, they had plans. And I was like, okay, well, I, this, this must not be my place. But it's good to have a new idea of what's possible in my life. You know, so I just kind of left it at that. But Frank and um, the, who, Frank just kept calling. He just kept calling me. And every time I came back, I would have lunch with them or dinner. They came to Nashville a few times. And at some point, I realized, going back and forth, I went to, I was driving down the street. What is that street? Cooper? Mm-hmm. I was, dry, I was in Cooper Young, and I saw this man walking down the street, and he just, something about him stood out to me, and I, it clicked in my mind. I said, oh, people invest in Nashville because they perceive it as a rich white town, and people don't invest in Memphis because they perceive it as a poor black town. And it just totally all was like, oh, yeah, I'm moving to Memphis. This is my place. Like, this <laughs> is where I belong. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because I, ca- I was confused about, because every time I came here, like, when I first said to people, oh, I have clients in Memphis, I'm going to be going down there. They were like, mm, you better be careful. And I was like, what are you talking about? What does that mean? And then I would come here, and people were like, oh, you live in Nashville? Hmm. Good luck living in such a trash town. And I would be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, what is this thing that is happening? And I said, oh, Memphis and Nashville are playing out the, the relationship between black people and white people in America. Oh, yes. great. Oh, yes. I got it. No problem. I got it. Because I, I know what that looks like. So now I know what this looks like. And so I ended up moving here because I um, finally, we found a way for, for us to work together at Claiborne Temple. And they had this idea to do a musical for MLK 50, which is last year, the 50th, the 50th anniversary commemorating the assassination of Martin Luther King. And I was like, oh, produce. I could do that with my eyes closed. I could produce any, literally anything I could do that. So I came here to produce that show. And while I was here for that six months, I just kept meeting these brilliant people who had so much vision and so much soul and so much care and so much thoughtfulness about life and about the future and about this city. And I was like, I want to live with those people. Like Nashville's cool. I thought like I love Nashville. I don't have anything against it, but I thought I loved Nashville until I moved to Memphis. And I was like, oh, these are my people. Like I love Nashville, but Memphis are my people. And so I just didn't go back. I was supposed to go back in July of 2018. I just never left. So that's how I got here. That's why I'm here, because I believe in this city, and this city makes me feel inspired, and this city makes me feel grounded, and this city makes me feel like 
a different future is possible, not just in the city, but in all of America. Like, I know that sounds really dramatic, but that's how I feel. So that's why I'm here, and I want to be a contribution to that, and I want... I want, I know that I want to do my best to take care of Claiborne Temple and like what it, what it means for the past and the future of the city and the people in this city. And I want to be a part of it. And that's why I'm here. Absolutely. That's one of the coolest things too. I mean, Brandon and I are both born and raised Memphians. And the first time I met you, Anasa, it was just such a unique experience. And I thought, this is Memphis. This is mm. who Memphis needs. This is mm. what Memphis needs. Obviously, Thank it's you. what Claiborne needs. Thank you. But Someone like you who is a transplant who really just is you plant your roots here yeah. and you really grab onto Memphis yeah, and you love I it did. so much. <laughs> I do. You love it. You love I it. Do. And you show it by yeah. the work that you're doing and by the vision that you have and by the connections that you're making. Yeah. And the connections that you're making not only for yourself, not only for Claiborne, but for the community mm-hmm. as a whole. And mm-hmm. that's what Memphis needs when you talk about development and community engagement. Yeah. That's what it's about. Yeah. It's about building. It's about making sure that we're you know, so and so company is coming into town, right. and that we are, you know, truly leading the way in terms of economic development. But yeah. it's about social and community development yeah. and establishing and rebuilding. That's right. Those relationships. That's right. It's um, interesting because I have I have because I'm an artist. That's so funny. Every time I call myself that, it makes me laugh. I'm like, I'm an artist. Because <laughs> in my mind, I'm totally not. But I, I yeah, that's what I do. I um, have lived in D.C. before it gentrified. I lived in Atlanta before it gentrified. I lived in Nashville. I lived in Oakland before it gentrified. I lived in so many places, like right before gentrification hit, and I know what it smells like. And I'm like, uh-oh, guys. <laughs> it's coming to Memphis. And in a place that has such a high majority of African-American people and also such a high majority of people who are living at or below the poverty line, like I have seen what happens when the people decide it's time for a city to transform and people get left behind. And that can't happen here. And so part of the work that we're doing at um, Claiborne Temple is something that we're calling restorative development, which is like really... We're hopeful that it's going to be a um, an alternative to gentrification and displacement because, of course, people want new ideas and new money and new enterprise and new development. And of course, people want to live in, in neighborhoods that are beautiful. But, like, why doesn't everybody get to have that? And isn't it better yeah. if everybody gets to That's have right. that? And isn't it even better if the people who have historically been in a neighborhood get to um, contribute and have a say in the way a neighborhood evolves and grows because that's why you like it in the first place because there's a culture here or feeling here, an aesthetic here, something here that makes you feel attracted, then why would you cast aside the people who put that there in the first place? Why would you dishonor the people who put that, even if you don't like them, like have some integrity, you know what I mean? And like there's enough for all of us. There's enough for all of us. This is like the richest country in the world for God's sake. Like there's enough for all of us and there's no reason for us to get have people get left behind unless we're just not being thoughtful about it. So, like, for me, it's a lot about being mindful and being fair and, like, being human and honoring people for, for just the fact that they were born, like, worthy of love because they are. Not because they did anything, not because they didn't do anything, just because, like, you're born so you get to be a part of this. Because why wouldn't we do that? There's so much I love about what you've been saying. I, you know, first of all, as a, as a native Memphian, it's so encouraging to have somebody kind of come in and see value in the city. Oh yeah, because you don't you don't hear that a lot. I mean, you, you do don't. hear a lot of like, oh, you're going to Memphis. Be careful. Like be you careful, said. girl. Right. Yes. I'm like the black people were telling me to be careful. I'm like, yeah. girl, you need to hush. Like, what are you talking about? Passion, <laughs> um, right? I mean, it comes right. out. And I know. And, I get so excited. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> 
I also love, though, you know, you were saying a few minutes ago this idea that your whole life you've been searching for chances to transform. You yes. know, whether it was through art or through politics, yes. and you haven't really found that. Um, I love that this project at Claiborne has been an opportunity for you to yeah. see that. You know, yeah. th- I remember the first time I stepped in Claiborne. You, you mentioned, like, when you step in and how yes, beautiful it is. that first time. When you're looking at the outside I mean, the, the, you can kind of see where the roof is caved in a little bit, but the building from the outside really doesn't look that bad. No. It looks beautiful. It looks like a regular church. Right. And then you walk in and you see these kind of remnants of beauty everywhere. Yeah. You see where the stained glass is. You yeah. see the, this old, like, kind of white textured wood. Yeah. You see where it's broken in places. And it's very like, obvious that this place has been decaying, that yeah. so much has happened to it. But there's still so much life in it, and there's so much there to, to work with. Yeah. And I think that's just such a great symbol and I, I think to your point it's something that doesn't look that bad on the outside that on the inside is is broken and it's yeah. messy but there's a lot of value there and yeah. you guys are working to restore that and bring that beauty back out mm-hmm. and I love that you're doing that in the community too you're not working you know they're not tearing down Claiborne and building no. something new they're not tearing down the community they're looking for ways to heal this community mm-hmm. to bring out that beauty there and I think that is such a you know, when we're talking about cause marketing, we're talking about stories. Mm-hmm. It's such a powerful story. Yes. And when you talk about, you know, Dr. King's last year and how he was focused on, you know, class and race being intertwined, yep. that is so much a part of what still is, is happening today. And so to, <laughs> yes. to take this... That's the definition of Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so to take this idea, you know, this building that... It's, it's so much more than a building. It, it it, it's really working to... To grow awareness, because I, I think of a lot of a lot of what goes into that divide is that people aren't aware, as you said, they just don't get it. If you're not living in that situation, if yeah. you're not living in those communities and meeting those people and seeing the beauty there in that community yeah. and seeing the value of it, that you just don't understand. And so, yeah, I, yeah I, you know, Memphis does have a little sister complex to, yeah. to Nashville, <laughs> absolutely, and it, it's so great to see people pouring back into it and investing yeah. in it in a way that's going to be healthy. Not just for making the city better, gentrifying it, but in in restoring it in ways that help the people who are already there. One hundred percent, and I, and it's interesting to me because what I'm learning, which I knew intuitively, but it's interesting to see it play full out. Because the reason, like um, professionally, like intellectually, the thing that I, because of course my love affair with Memphis is all heart. But intellectually, the reason why I like Claiborne Temple for me is because the model that I conceived, every piece of it is in this project. Like most times you have a client, they need for you to produce a story, they need you to do the engagement, or they need to do something. But like I can actually do my full vision of what I think this means, like what, what I think it means to use a story and, and leverage it for the transformation of a community of people, like I actually can take it from zero to 100 working at Claiborne Temple. And that to me is really exciting. And part of that is to be able to help people to understand. And like in Memphis, there's like, there's like a false binary that you're talking about, black and white and rich and poor, but there's the truth is there's people all along the spectrum of race. There's a whole, like Memphis is the fastest growing, growing Latinx population in the South, and there's a whole spectrum along, like, race and class lines, and so there's the, the economy is not really there. It's all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds with all kinds of financial situations, and, like, it's important for me that we remove a conversation about charity. Like, this is not about, like, white people 
understanding the value and beauty of black culture or about people with, with means, understanding that, that people who are impoverished are actually human. This is about all of us understanding that all of us are human. Yeah. Right? And that the whatever happens in 38126 impacts and affects what happens in whatever zip codes you live in all of America. You know what I mean? And really helping for people to see, like, don't tell me I don't see color. Say, I see who you are, I understand who you are, and I value you and honor you because of that. Not in spite of of it. Because Because of who you are, are, because of your experience, because of your ancestry, because your indigenous wisdom, which is a whole other conversation. It's like this whole black and white conversation like totally disappears. The fact that there were a lot of people living in this city that before it was a city, mm-hmm. right? That 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 beautiful river that we're on right now, there was a community of people who lived on that river, who thrived off that river, who had c- commerce and life in this city, right? And like we don't we don't even think about them, much less acknowledge or honor or repair or restore the damage that was done to that community. And and for us, like all we think about is restoration. Like what are the things that we can restore from this little acre of land? <laughs> Right here. We talk so much about restorative <laughs> development, and that has so many meetings. There's so many conversations yes. around that. It's restorative development yes. of the building. That's right. It's restorative development of the community, That's right. of the city, and of of the relationships, mm-hmm. of the conversations that need to start happening. That's right. That's right. Speaking specifically to those relationships yes. and the conversations, yes. one of the big things that we decided to do this year, or that Claiborne Temple decided to do, was host in this place. Talk My favorite things, but you've been talking about that this whole time we've yeah. been t- talking today yeah. about in this place and that whether that be in this place of Claiborne Temple, yeah. in three eight one two six, in downtown Memphis, <laughs> yeah. in Memphis, and yep. just in the civil rights movement. Yeah. And so, just talk to us a little bit about the work that your team is doing around community development sure. or restorative development and what have been some of the reactions mm-hmm. you've received thus far? So this really was born out of a pressure point that we had from a lot of people because when you do historic preservation and you take an, a, an important building, Claiborne Temple is on the National Registry both for architecture and for history. And so we're on the state and national registry, which makes... You know, it, it turns into a whole other conversation when you're talking to the whole country, right? And so... There's a lot of pressure to do community engagement, which means like asking people who have a stake in your space what should happen in the space. And so um, I didn't want to do that because I felt like I don't want to have a conversation with a whole bunch of people who don't know each other, who don't respect each other, who don't honor each other and love each other. I don't want the ideas that come out of that. I want ideas that come out of a community that is knitted together beautifully, who is who has like the courage to sit, to tell the truth, who has the relate the depth of relationship to hear the truth and still be in love with each other. Like that's what I want the ideas to come out of because those are two different ideas, right? It's like an idea that's born out of fear or one that's an idea born out of love. Which one would you rather have? Especially in a place that's so important. And so we wanted to come up with a plan that would actually bring the city together in community and in conversation. And we knew it was going to take a long time so we decided to do it for a whole year (laughs) and so the first three events that we had were um hosted and curated honestly by tammy sawyer who is a county commissioner here she's like a really bold young important voice to me she's one of the things that was exciting to me before i moved here because there was this whole conversation across the country 
about Confederate statues. And, you know, this whole debate about whether it's heritage or hate. And I'm like, well, it can be both. And let's be just honest about that, right? Let's just say this is, um, yes, some people's heritage and some people's family lineage and they are statues that were put up at a particular time in history to remind people about where the power was like that's just what it was right Right. whether or not we take them down I was interested in having an honest conversation about what that history of that of those statues were even though the conversations were happening literally all over the country Memphis was the only place where there was something actually happening and I watched on Facebook Live as they took that statue down. And I was like, holy crap, who is that woman and what is she doing? And how many months later she was a county commissioner. So Tammy is actually was the perfect person for us to partner with and to host and um, and curate these conversations. And so the first conversation was about Martin Luther King. We had it on King Holiday Monday. And we had a great conversation about the meaning of the letter from the Birmingham jail, which was really like a letter that was written to a small group of pastors in Birmingham saying like, you say you preach the gospel. Like, this is what the gospel looks like in 1963 or whatever time it came out. It was like, do you think that Christ would be the one who was being quiet in the church? Or do you think that Christ would be out here with us on the picket lines, basically, right? And our second event was just this past week, and it was really about the bicentennial of Memphis. Like, what are the stories that we need to tell to have the true story of the 200-year of the history of Memphis be alive and, like, guiding us into the future? And that conversation was like... I learned so much. It was oh, mind blowing. Oh my God. It's so beautiful. That Roz Nichols, I swear. Oh, Jeez, that woman. Powerful. Her soul is like whew, full of poppy flowers. I just love her so much. And um and our next one is gonna be about dangerous women. So what does it mean during Women's History Women's History Month to talk to and honor women who um, go against the grain and kind of make up their own rules? I'm honored to be on that panel. Yes. And <laughs> And then, like, the fourth conversation we're going to have is with Reverend Lawson, who is my favorite brain in all of America. He's, like, one of the—he was a architect, the architect and strategist behind the sanitation worker strike, was a good friend of Dr. King's, and some people credit him for being one of the reasons why Dr. King really leaned into nonviolence as a strategy. Um, of course, with Howard Thurman, of course. And so— the conversations that we're having like in the beginning of the year and the spring and, and winter were really about surfacing those stories and bringing them up for people just to be aware of and to consume and process and like in their minds and their souls and in their bodies and get to a place where they could have real conversations. That's right. right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Cause you can have a conversation. Like if I say, Hey, tell me about trees. And you're just like, I mean, they're cute and they're tall and they're and that's in, or if I say here like let me tell you a few facts about trees like now let's talk about it and you can have a whole different conversation mm-hmm. and so we wanted to really have people in a space where one they were meeting each other so we have this idea around like what it means for people to come together around food because everybody likes to eat and it's one of those things that you can like get into real quick and it helps you go deep real fast if you have a meal with someone we have people like strangers sitting by each other having these conversations we have them ask questions of each other And then they get to hear from a panel that really gives them kind of the empirical data that they need to be able to process and have their own new ideas. And so after we do that work um, with Reverend Lawson in April, then we're going to spend the next six months just like going into communities and talking to just regular everyday people and having them have conversations with each other and tell each other stories about their experience of race, class, and location and like what it means to be in relationship with people who you 
historically haven't been in a relationship with? And what does it mean for those relationships to be the ones upon which the future of this city is built and not the relationships that are in place right now? And that's so interesting, too, because the whole the whole idea we're talking about today being cause marketing and the Claiborne Temple is going to be basically shut down for right. renovations, right. for restoration of the building. Yeah. And so during that time... That's really when the restorative development is going to be happening because we're getting out there into the community, yeah. talking to people over meals and having these conversations, having these difficult conversations, but empowering mm-hmm. conversations that help to continue the mm-hmm. mission that was started so long ago that was resurfaced with you coming That's on right. board and now now really getting out there in the community and doing the work that yeah, I feel um, compelled to say something about cause marketing because um, it's something that keeps like it keep, you guys keep saying it. But we haven't talked about <laughs> it. And it's like really something that I have a really interesting relationship with, because like I said before, like I started in on this one end of the spectrum and then like went to the other end of the spectrum, like being in the music industry. That's all about the market, all right. about the brand, all about that. And then going all the way to, you know, working in the political side and then working like very deep grassroots work, which is like, if you say the word marketing in the wrong room in an organizing community, like they look at you and they will stab you in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how dare you use that language? That is the language of capitalism and the devil. And I'm like, listen, it worked. You know what I mean? Like, actually, it's not right. It's not anyone's tool. It is a tool that we need to be able to use. Like, do you want to transform 10 people's lives or do you want to transform a million people? Like, if you want to use these little raggedy white papers and these little flyers that you made on your Xerox machine, then sure. Like, that's fine. But if you want pretty fonts and good design and good website and like an engagement strategy, then you have to, you have to use marketing techniques that work to reach masses of people. And then on the other side, there's like people on the, on the kind of the popular um, culture side who don't understand the power of like deep relationship and community and who think that all you need is a telethon or a website or engagement strategy online to make change. And that's just not the truth. Right. And if you don't have like the best of what it means to be able to tell a rich, true, authentic story connected to an actual community of people and then like learn how to use that story and amplify it in a really powerful and skilled way, those two things must be in place to do large-scale transformation. Either you're going to transform a little bit of people or you're going to have a very surface change with people and it's not going to be real transformation. And like this idea of what it means to be a cause marketer And, like, I'm interested in the power of people who do both things in relationship with each other. Because nobody, like, it's hard to embody both things. It's really hard. Because it's, like, a totally different set of skills and acumen and history and training. Like, it's hard to be able to fully be both things. But I feel like the power of bringing together folks who understand issues that folks are facing on the ground, but also understand bringing that you have to bring people who understand how to communicate to everybody especially people who are outside of that space who are who's impacted like why wouldn't why wouldn't that happen (laughs) why wouldn't you do that so like I just like I know that people like y'all's audience is really folks who are in the marketing space right and so I want like if you don't hear anything else that I say today I want to say like when you're doing cause marketing, what's most important is authenticity because a real, true, heartfelt story will go way further than something that's contrived and flashy every time. And it's the only thing that's going to make a difference. When you said earlier that you wanted to, you 
were drawn toward art because you felt that art could really change the yeah. world. And storytelling yeah. is That's right. an art form. It's the most pure yeah. art form there is. Yeah. So long as you're telling that in an authentic way. Yeah. And storytelling truly can change the world. And that's exactly the vision that you have. That's yeah. the vision of Claiborne Temple. And it's just, it, yeah. it's, it's an exciting thing to watch. And as we get to these next two events that are mm-hmm. coming up, these in this place events and yeah. truly knowing and understanding what those words mean, what in this place means That's right. and carrying that message and the vision of Claiborne Temple and the vision of restorative development out into the community. Yeah. It's going to be so powerful to just watch and witness. Two things I want to say about what you just said. I'm so excited. You just make my brain go fast. <laughs> um, the well, one thing, the first thing I want to say is that when I talk, when I go and talk to young artists or folks who are trying to learn how to do this work, what I tell them is that no matter what you're creating, all it is is a story. Like if you're doing a motion, a full-blown motion picture, $20 million, or if you're like, on the corner talking to a stranger like all you're doing is storytelling and if you can tell a good story and you can learn how to um, hone your skills such that your story can open somebody's heart then literally anything is possible and that to me is like what is at the core of this conversation about storytelling it's like the person who has never met you who doesn't believe anything you believe in who thinks you're whatever they think about you like if you tell the right story in the right way in the most authentic powerful way you can it will can change everything it can literally change everything and that is the power of what we do and the other thing I want to say about in this place is that it's been interesting for me because I've done most of most of my adult life I've spent doing national work my first artist I ever worked with went on a world tour my first presidential campaign the first campaign was a presidential so I'm always like super macro like super super macro and this is the first time that I have done work that's really focused in like literally an acre of land And it has been so powerful for me to understand the power of being connected to a piece of land. And to see the... The type of people, people from yeah. all walks of life. Oh, yeah. You said you were talking Everybody about Everybody walks in that here? space. I know. That's one of the powers of Claiborne Temple is because it's literally on the border of everything. <laughs> so it's like right. rich and poor, black and white, downtown and midtown, like a, a Presbyterian and AME, like literally every, it's at the nexus of every intersection in this city. And so anybody's liable to walk. There was a guy in there a couple weeks ago who was like a, a Catholic bishop from India was just walked in the door. Hello. <laughs> I came here from India and I thought I will check and see if you were open. I'm like, what? Okay, come on in. <laughs> and so literally anybody can walk in there. I mean, anybody. For, the, for the events and just on a random Tuesday. Yep. That's right. Really Anywhere from the bishop from India to the little girl who lives across the street who had never been there. And it was like, I just keep seeing people come in here and I just wanted to see what y'all were doing. And I'm like, girl, come in. Come <laughs> in. And we welcome everybody because we know the first person that feels unwelcome, we failed. Because our life and our work is about the heart and about making sure that everyone feels loved and acknowledged and has access to sustainable joy. Like, that's our work. We're not doing the work of justice. We're doing the work of joy. From justice to joy. Ew. (laughs) (laughs) You were talking just a minute ago about um, the importance of authenticity. And I think for us, you know, we've said that this season is kind of focused on PR, but really... I think we could change that to this season's been focused on authenticity. Because I, I think... Talk about authenticity and transparency. Yeah. Just, yes. um, you know, even for businesses, I think tell, finding a story that they can really get grounded in that's honest is, is important for them to tell. But especially in cause marketing, you mentioned there's kind of two two people on this spectrum, right? There are the people who are like, no, 
this cause is too important. We don't want to sell That's out. Right. That's we right. don't want to go That's right. deal with all this capitalism. Yep. We just want to let the story stand for itself. Yep. Those people need people to help them tell the story. A story is only as powerful as who hears it, right? Yep. And so, and how they hear it. Yeah. And so I, I think that's really important. And then you have people on the other side, which I think, you know, for marketers, it's easy for us to fall in this trap of we need metric, metrics. Yes. We want to engage this many <laughs> yeah. people. We want to talk to them in this way. And we yeah. kind of lose sight sometimes of, okay, let's step back outside of the metrics and outside of, of exactly are we getting the response we want and are people doing exactly what we want them to do is are we connecting them with this story? Are we helping them discover things about themselves, about us that that is going to inspire them to do something, even if it's not what we want them to yeah. do, just inspire them to change or make some kind of action? Yeah. The base of PR, of public relations, is did you change public That's opinion? Right. Did That's you affect right. public opinion? That's right. And if you did that, you did your job. Did you generate, create some sort of mm-hmm. brand awareness. Is someone else talking about Claiborne Temple who's mm-hmm. never talked about it before? That happens, you're successful. That's right. And you mentioned, you know, kind of when you came on, you ran into some of that of, that's marketing's a, a, a no-no word. Like, we're not going to okay. say that. We're not going to get involved <laughs> in that. Um, as you've been involved, how has that grown and how important has the media been? What, what kind of things mm-hmm. have you enacted to get that story out there more? So I don't do anything without a marketing plan. <laughs> <laughs> Because I grew up in the music industry, <laughs> and it's really been the most important thing. Like, the communications plan, which is anything from, like, who do I need to talk to and change their mind and heart about what we're doing, to, like, who is Beth going to make sure sees me on the news. Like, the whole spectrum of that has been so important to what we're doing. And there, you know, we ran into a lot of public relations issues when I first came on because some of the folks who, like, didn't like the fact that Frank was the one that bought the building and who felt like like it was a violation, frankly, you know, like, no pun intended. And really, like, the way that I have spent most of my time um, with and without Beth, like, trying to help people see the truth of what's happening, like, what is the authentic story of Claiborne Temple? And then sometimes the stuff that you see is not really what's true or, or the thing that you perceive that you see is not the truth. And, like, there there is no... Um, all we can do, like, I have this... I spent a lot of time in meditation at the beginning of the year. And what came to me in that time was that in 2019... When things got hairy, all I needed to do was take a deep breath and tell the truth. And that is really what has been happening. It's like all we need to do is tell the truth about what's happening at Claiborne Temple, what's happening in that particular community, what's happening in communities across Memphis and the country. And like if the person's receptive to the conversation, like I did my job. Right. And if they're not receptive to the conversation, I did my job, which was to tell the truth. And that's all I can do. And what I'm learning is that I have never said this out loud before, so I don't know how it's going to come out. So like, just bear with me. I might need to say it like four times to get it right. What I'm learning is it's not just that I'm telling an authentic story, but I'm helping other people find their authentic ideas and beliefs. Because a lot of our beliefs, I said it just on the first time. Good job. Oh my yeah. God. Because a lot of our beliefs are not the ones that we were born with or, or, grow, or grew ourselves. They're our beliefs that came from our parents or from television or from the songs that we listen to. And what I'm finding is if you tell a story that opens someone's heart, then they may learn something about the authenticity of their own belief that they did not have access to before because that part of their soul was not open. And so 
the storytelling that we're doing, not just within this place, but with the musical still, because the musical is still going on. We haven't done it in Memphis since April, but we're now touring it around the country. So we're now telling the story of Memphis and telling the story of the sanitation workers in the Claiborne Temple in, in small cities around the country and like allowing them to then become an authentic relationship with each other because they are discovering things about themselves and the folks who are in their community they've never talked to before. And they're like, oh, snap, like we actually are neighbors, not just people who live next door to each other. And it's been really fascinating for me to watch the unlocking of that and like what uh, what what it means like how authenticity generates authenticity in other people and that to me is like that is where the magic is it's not just like did you go on the website but it's like did you unlock something true about yourself that you didn't know an hour ago and that it's been so powerful. And then you're carrying on that conversation with someone else. That's right. And then it's just a ripple That's right. effect from there. Because then people know themselves more clearly and they can take that more clearer version of themselves out into the world and have a different conversation. Mm-hmm. Like we, we went to, when we were in Winston-Salem a couple of weeks ago, the feedback that we're getting is like, there are things in conversation happening now that have never happened before in that town. And all we did was come and do a two-hour performance. We did a little bit more than that, but still the point, you see the point is like, it's based on the storytelling that we're doing. It's like, can we open your heart enough so that you can open your heart to someone else? Storytelling can really change the world. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. And speaking kind of to that power a little bit, so I know that you guys are trying to start these conversations. What are some actions that you're hoping those conversations will inspire? I mean, I mean yeah. fundraising is probably a thing that you guys deal with uh, a, a, a yeah. bit. Let's <laughs> <laughs> um, talk about that. Yeah. We just talked. Yeah, we have. So we have um, obviously the operations that a normal 501c3 would have, but we also have this big, beautiful, majestic building that needs to be restored. And so it's a $14 million project from beginning to end just to restore the actual building. And we broke it up into five phases. We're about to go into phase two. I'm so excited. <laughs> We're about to um, repair the exterior envelope. So that roof, that roof and truss that I talked about earlier is being repaired. All the stained glass I talked about earlier is being restored. The, um, the bell tower is being restored. All that. So we're all super excited about that. And then the next phase would be the interior. So like this is like the most important part because it's like the sanctuary space, the big, giant, beautiful organ that needs to be restored. And like the the, the floors that held the feet of these men and women who did this work, like those, that's the place we're going next. And, you know, and so on and so forth. And then we're also in a conversation about restoring beyond the building. So like this idea of restorative development is really about can we bring the design principle and the restoration principle that we're using in the building to the empty lots that are surrounding us because the impact of, you know, race and class on a community that is the poorest community in the state of Tennessee is like still impacting it today. There's a story I tell all the time about Robert Church, who was the first African-American millionaire in the country who lived around the corner from Claiborne Temple. And the community that he built that was like full of vibrant entrepreneurship, multiracial community, like all the things that we say we want in 2019 happened 100 years ago in the neighborhood of where Claiborne Temple is. It was literally intentionally and diabolically destroyed by one person because he just didn't like the idea of black people and white people thriving together. And we are still living the legacy out of that today in 38126. And the the work that happened with the sanitation workers, like that what didn't happen in the vacuum. They were living out that same legacy. And so we need to identify, repair, and replace the things that are keeping that legacy alive. 
because it's no longer acceptable. Like, it's just not, like, no. It's too, it's too long. No. <laughs> no. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> I'm about to get on a, on a, a soapbox. But <laughs> it's like the thing that's, the thing that I keep bringing to people's attention is that um, 2019 is the 400, an- like it's the 200th anniversary of Memphis. It's the 400th anniversary of the first slave ship to come to America. And so like, no more, no more. Like, what do we? What conversation do we need to have? What money do we need to raise? What hearts do we have to open? What shows do we have to do? Like, what policy do we have to change? No, I can't not do everything I can anymore to be able to have um, all of humanity live out their full potential. Because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about replacing barriers in people's God-given divine right to live and thrive and breathe and have joy and prosperity with their families. And no one should have that. No one should have that just because of this or just because of that. If you wake up every day and you do things to get in your own way, then that's your spiritual work to do. But how dare anyone get in anyone's way of their joy and their prosperity? And I don't care what you think of me. Like, I don't need you to like me, but you better get out of my way. <laughs> Bridges, <laughs> Bridges, <laughs> not walls, conduits, not barriers. There you go. There you go. Love, not fear. I think it's just so important, you know, when so many people hear, you know, when, when race comes up. Yeah. They just shut down a I lot of know. times. It's like, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. I, I don't want to hear about it. It's a lot of people think that it's done. I know. Well, a lot of, you know, white people think that it's done. <laughs> <laughs> um, Authenticity, right? right? That's right. Uh, and I think even, even for people who realize what's going on, it's just easier to not engage. And so I think that's the power of so what you easy. guys are doing is it's, it's asking people to engage. It's it's telling the story and then asking people to care about it and get them involved in it. And I think what you guys are yeah. doing is really powerful. The, Thank the, you. Kind of that restorative effort. Yes. And I love that it's a story that, as somebody who, you know, deals with stories on a daily basis, I love that a story is behind that and that yeah. it has the power to change everything. Lots yeah. more so. coming too. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Anasa, thank you so much for joining us today. I feel like our minds have been blown just thinking about <laughs> all the work that that is that is coming up all the work that you've been doing and thank you um your passion and your vision is thank so you. welcome and Ooh, is so thank you. exciting to yeah. us it's exciting to downtown memphis it's exciting for claiborne it's exciting yeah. for just the movement in general so yeah. i feel like every time we get together i'm always looking for ways to add insight and like add to the conversation <laughs> today i just wanted to sit back and just go for it just like, Keep talking, please. <laughs> well, again, thank you so much. We're, thank we're you. just so grateful to have had your I time. I am grateful and your too. Insight. I'm grateful too. I, I, I'm sitting here thinking about Maya Angelou. There's a quote that she said, and she said it was something like, "This is not an actual quote. This is like a paraphrase, but it's something like, there's nothing more painful than an untold than bearing an untold story." And there's just like such power in being able to sit and just um, express who you are. And all we want to do is to have every person have that choice. And so I'm so grateful that you gave me that opportunity today. It's like the most important thing I do is just tell the truth. Oh, well, we're grateful to you. That's right. I'm grateful this to both of you. This is your platform whenever you want it. Uh, don't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> If you're 
you're interested in learning more about Historic Claiborne Temple, visit their website at claiborne-temple.org to get engaged in their story, to find out more about what they're doing in and around the city, and really just to find out more about their mission for restorative development, not only in 38126, but in the city of Memphis. We want you to get involved in our story too, so be sure to check us out at podcast.creativeinferno.com. You guys can go there. We've had some great guests this season, so for sure, make sure you don't miss any of our past episodes. Go back and listen to those. We have a lot to say about PR, about different avenues of that, and how to tell your story well, uh, whether it's cause marketing, whether it's promoting a business, large or small. There's so much you can do to get your story out there and get involved. So don't miss a single episode of The Boilerplate. We are coming up on the end of our season, and we have great things in the works for next season, too. So we'll be moving beyond PR and looking at marketing in just a bigger scope. Stay tuned for an announcement about that. We can't wait to hear from you.